as we're uh, hearing what the Lord has for us. If you'll stand with me as we read uh, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 6. Colossians 2, starting in verse 6. And we can read this together. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him, and established in your faith, just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. Lord, we thank you for who Jesus is, that you have called us to continue to be rooted in him. I pray, Lord, that we would not find root anywhere else, that we would only find root in the soul of Christ Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us. We thank you for your faithfulness to us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live in the position you've given us in Christ, the position of victory over sin and victory over the devil. And we pray, Lord, that you would quicken our hearts to hear your words this morning, to be obedient to your word. Lord, I pray for the kids that you would help them to be obedient and to uh, be attentive that they even would hear the truth of your word and it would begin to bring forth fruit in their hearts. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness and we trust that you will be with me this morning, Lord, that you would give me wisdom and discernment, clarity and precision, Lord, as I preach. I thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I know two verses, we're not making much progress this morning, but who needs progress when we've already got Christ Jesus? Last week, we saw really the key verses of the book of Colossians. The key verses are truly what Paul says in verse 3 and verse 4. Because if we want victory over sin, if we want to be victorious in in this life, it is only in Christ. It's not some false knowledge, some um, pseudo-knowledge, some kind of a knowledge that is supposed to be knowledge, but in reality is, is a lie. We must go to Christ. He must be all in all. He is the only truth. He is the treasure of heaven. He is the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge. If we have Him, we have everything we need. So when Paul gets to verse 6, he says, Therefore, in light of the fact that Jesus is the fullness of all treasure of wisdom and knowledge, since He's that, what does he say? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. So in light of that, since you have been following Jesus Christ, what did he say? He says, so walk in Him. And so this morning's message is entitled, Walking in Union with Him. Walking in Union with Him. Paul starts out with this phrase, received. And we think about that word. Oftentimes it's something passive, like I received a gift from you. Right? Something that 
we didn't do anything about. And it's true. We receive Christ because the Holy Spirit did a work in us so that we could. But there's beyond that, it's not just a gift. It is something that we did not pay for. Right? You, a gift is not paid for by you. It's paid for the give, by the giver. And Christ gave Himself to us. We just receive that. And though we passively receive Christ, there's an action to it, right? Because it's not just us saying, yep, I receive Christ. I'm good. No, there, there's repentance and there's and with repentance, there's a change of life, a change of conduct. We're not just receiving a tradition. We're receiving the person who is the essence of that tradition. Right? Jesus Christ, the tradition of the saints, as we might say, that's been passed down to us, the tradition of the apostles, it's not about doctrine necessarily. It's about Jesus Christ. When we lose Jesus Christ, we have empty doctrine. If we have no relationship with Jesus Christ, you can talk to your blue in the face about Calvin or Arminia or whoever you want to talk about, Luther, But if your life is not about living in the power of Jesus Christ, then you have no hope. That's what Paul is getting at. He is attacking the stronghold of these heretical teachers in Colossae. He's saying if Jesus is not everything to you, you will not succeed. J.B. Lightfoot says this, Let your conviction and conduct be in perfect accordance with the doctrines and precepts of the gospel as it was taught you. Our walk must be in accordance to the way we started. Don't go to some new starting place. Isn't that what the world and Unfortunately, many so-called churches are doing. They're saying, go to a different route. Find different soil. No. We need to be in Christ. It's interesting. Paul here uses the full title of Jesus. Right? Christ Jesus, and some would translate this, and I think I agree with this, the Lord, not just as Lord. What do these three names mean? Well, first, Christ, what's that term mean? Messiah, the prophet, priest, and king of the Old Testament. The promised Messiah. This is Jesus This is a promise of God. But He's not just a promise. He is historical. Jesus, that's His name. And Jesus, if you don't realize this, is the Greek spelling of the name Joshua. And Joshua means the Lord our salvation. 
So Jesus is a historical person. He's not just the promised Messiah. He's the come Messiah. He came to earth historically speaking. And this is essential to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If we do not believe that Jesus came in the flesh, we might as well pack up and go party, do whatever you want to do. Because if Jesus isn't real, then we have as much hope as Jordan Peterson. I'm not trying to ha- uh, hammer down on this guy, but he's, he's a psychologist, and he loves the stories of Scripture because he thinks these myths, he calls them myths, he believes these myths can guide our lives. That they're all added together, because he's not a believer yet, that all gathered together point to particular truths that work in our world. But he has not believed that Jesus is a real man. But that's not it. It's not just sufficient that we believe that Christ is the Messiah. That we receive that truth. It's not just enough that we receive that Jesus Christ is our salvation. That He was a real man who came and died for our sins. That's not enough. He must also be Lord. Right? Paul's not leaving out a title because he wants them to know that every part of who Jesus is is what they receive, not portions of Him. There's a lot of people out there who want a Messiah. There's a lot of people who want to believe in a historical Jesus. But there's not a lot of people that want to make Jesus Christ the Lord of their lives. The Master of their lives. So we as believers, we must receive every part. Jesus not can't just be our Messiah without His Lordship. It is intrinsic to following Jesus Christ. If He is not Lord, He is not your Savior. If we as believers have not submitted ourselves to Christ as the Master of our wills, if we have not submitted our wills to Him and said, Lord, lead me, guide me, direct me, we must not just receive Him as Messiah, as a historical person who died for our sins, the captain of our salvation, but He must also be our Lord, our King. He is the King of kings. I don't think it's an accident that Paul uses all three names. If you look in the book of Acts, the term Lord is used over a hundred times. But Christ is rarely used. I'm not saying that we shouldn't use Christ, but the book of Acts is constantly talking about the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You want to know why Paul was so successful? Because Christ was the Lord of his life. He started off in a direction and the Lord said, Nope, go here. He would get there and, Oh, well, uh, misdirection, go here now. God was getting him where he wanted him to be. But because Paul was listening to the Lord, and the Lord was truly his master, he was used 
by God. The apostles were used because they were submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Billy Graham said this, he said, No man can be said truly converted to Christ who has not bent his will to Christ. He may give intellectual assent to the claims of Christ and may have an emotional religious experience. However, he is not truly converted until he has surrendered his will to Christ as Lord, Savior, and Master. I love that quote because this is the gospel. There are a lot of people running around thinking they're converted, but they haven't truly received every part of who Jesus is. They've received the parts they like. But most people would not say that Christ is Lord of their lives. And there's actually doctrines of demons that I call liberation theology that want to change the word Lord in the New Testament to something less oppressive. That is the biggest bunch of garbage I've ever heard. If you took the, the word Lord out of the Bible, you would. it's like, why would you even read it anymore? If Christ cannot be Lord, that's why I hate theologies like this, because it seeks to change who God says He is. He must be Lord or He is not your Savior or mine. But this is also a challenge to us because it's easy to say, yes, Jesus is the Lord of my life. Well, what does your life say about His Lordship? Does it actually proclaim that Jesus is the Lord of your life? I don't know. That's between you and the Lord. That's, and maybe we can tell. That the, the Christian walk is continual surrender to His Lordship. Because oftentimes we think, oh yes, I've surrendered all. All to you. I surrender. But then God brings us something we haven't surrendered and we are not so happy to give that up anymore. I surrendered everything but that house or that car. I know those are material things. It may be feelings. Maybe Bitterness at someone. Who knows what it is? But as Christians, if we are not continually being transformed, continually being encouraged to submit ourselves to His Lordship, have we truly received Him? It's a question we have to ask ourselves. Because if we haven't received Him rightly, then what Paul says next won't make sense. right? If Jesus is not truly Lord of our lives, that doesn't mean that we've totally, we know every area of, God, of our hearts that God is working in. No, that, that just means that we are seeking by the power of God to submit ourselves to His will. And we're living in that. So he says... As you have first, this is past tense, right? He, he 
we've re- we have received Him. This is a past tense action. So since you have received Him at first, so walk in Him. It's like Paul saying, go on walking. Don't go another way. Don't, don't change who you know Jesus is. Stop believing the lies of these people who say that they're the way to heaven. That they have this wisdom or knowledge. Sorry, I'm getting excited because this passage is extremely vital to the Christian walk. There are so many people who are trying, and I have experienced this in my own life, where I wanted to do things, but I wanted to do them my way. I was hanging out with Frank Sinatra too much. Right? For the especially the older ones. But it's not about I did it my way. It's a I did it his way. Let's write a new song and sing that one. It won't be popular. You won't you won't sing see the, the, the Michael Bublé's and the Josh Groban singing that song. No offense to them. You older people are like, who are they? They're 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 the Frank Sinatras of today, I'm sorry. <laughs> but when we get to the end of our life, it will be, I did it his way. Unlike Frank Sinatra's song, he did it his own way. Jesus is calling us to go on walking in him. So since we have received him as Messiah and Lord and and we need to walk in Him. Now, we're in a state where we need to keep walking in Him. Don't, don't go out in a different way. Don't go on a different path. I realize I'm not even using my slides. <laughs> Joseph's like, why did I even hook this up? <laughs> there we go. So we received Him, but now we need to walk in Him. We need to have Him with us. He he has to be everything to us. We need to walk in union with Him. That's where this whole title comes. This is the idea that we, we are walking in union with Him. We're walking under His Lordship. He knows the way, right? He's already traveled that path. He has been tempted in every way as us, yet without sin. He knows where the victory can be found. And that's why our union with Him is so important. Because if we want the victory, we must be found in Him. The problem is, oftentimes, we are submitting ourselves to other lords. I don't know what that may be for our lives. It's different for each person. We may be submitting ourselves in in an area and we don't realize it. And that's where God convicts us and shows us those areas of our lives where we are not walking in union with Him, but we're walking in union with fear or or pride or um, selfishness. Self-righteousness. There's so many ways that we can... Refuse to walk under His Lordship. 
But we have something amazing. Jesus saying, go walk in my power. Go walk in my strength. Go walk in my wisdom. Go walk in my victory. We want victory. We need to be in Christ. I remember uh, Eric Ludy talks about the way that he starts his day. Eric Ludy was is the guy that runs Ellerslie in Colorado that we've done a lot of stuff at last year. And when he wakes up, he reminds himself of his position in Christ. Who Christ has made him. I think that's something that is often forgotten. When we start our day, we start off on a good foot, but we forget who God made us in Christ. Who we can be through the power of Christ. And we forget that we can have the victory. That we can be overcomers. Because Christ in us is the hope of glory. If Christ has not become Lord of our lives, then when we try to walk, we're going to stumble and fall. How do we start our day? Maybe we need to do something like what Eric Ludy does. To consider who we are in Christ. What does the Bible say we are in Christ? Children. Joint heirs with Christ. Saints. Now that's a strong word. Just those three things. That's what just, I haven't even like touched the surface. But just in those three things, that means that through the power of Christ in us, we can have victory. But are we relying on His strength? Or are we turning to our own or the strength of another? It's an indictment on myself, not... <laughs> I know you may be sitting there thinking, he read my journal today. I don't know. I don't know whose journal I'm reading, but I know I'm reading my own. I need Christ desperately. I cannot do anything of value without the power of Christ in me. Just ask my wife. She knows my weaknesses. Ask my kids. But they also can see God changing me. Not because I'm walking in a different way, but I'm walking in Christ. I'm continuing to walk in Him. I'm continuing to look to Him as Christ, as Jesus, as Lord. He continues to be the captain of my salvation. He continues to be my Savior and Messiah. And He continues to be Lord, even when I don't like it. Sometimes he has to bring trials and tribulations to discipline me and get me back in his direction. But when he does, it's not because he doesn't love me. It's because he loves me. He wants me to walk on the straight and narrow path. But if I try to do it on my own, I I will get lost. Just like this father leading his son through the forest. Now... I can imagine this 
actually happening. If I took James out in the woods and just left him, even with a clearly marked trail, I guarantee you he wouldn't find his way out. To be like, oh, look at this leaf. Oh, look at that. Oh, right. We, we, he, he needs my guidance. I can let him look at those things, but I know where the trail is so I can bring him back and say, okay, you can't go in that direction. That's not a good idea. A few months ago, I went on a hiking slash camping trip with a friend, and we went on a, a more less, what do you call it, rugged, it was a rugged trail in the sense that it wasn't well marked. But do you know how we stayed on the path? We had a GPS and a map that, well, it was a phone but the app had a map of the trail. So anytime we would wonder, we'd be like, oh, yeah, we need to turn right here. Oh, we need to go this way. Is that how we look to the... Do we, do we know that we're walking in Him and, and we get to a, a, a place of decision? Where are we turning? Are we turning to Christ? Are we saying, Lord, I don't know where to go. What, where do you say, oh, th- this way, okay. I'm going to go that way. That's what walking with Christ looks like. Not that Jesus is a GPS, but it, I feel like it's a good analogy. We know our position in Him. Right? Just like a global positioning system, a GPS, it's telling us our position on earth. Well, we need to know our position in Him at all times. When we get to this decision, Lord, where am I supposed to be? Where, where will I be firmly rooted in you? Because that's where Paul goes in verse 6. He says, having been firmly rooted. Having been firmly rooted. Are we rooted in Him? Are we like a tree finding our roots deep in Him? You know, they say that on average, a tree's roots are as wide as their branches. So, are we expanding our roots in Him and, and, and deep? Or are we more like a tumbleweed? Everybody know what a tumbleweed is? Well, it starts out as a plant with very shallow roots. And you know what happens? Because its roots are shallow, it dries up and it goes tumbling. One time we were in Colorado, and you don't think of Colorado having tumbleweeds, but they do. And we hit it with our rental vehicle, and I was like, oh no. But you know how brittle tumbleweed is? Really, really brittle. It's just, it's like, Dried up and died. The question for me, you and I, is are we rooted in Christ? Because if we're rooted in Christ, we will not be tumbleweed. We won't be easily blown away. It's interesting, this, this word rooted is actually a participle. And a, please forgive the grammar. But it is a passive participle, meaning 
This is something that God does in us. When we receive Christ as Lord, Christ Jesus, the Lord, we become rooted in Him. This is the work of the Holy Spirit in us. That our, our roots are going deep. And that's what Paul's saying. He said, you have been firmly rooted in Him. Don't stop. And this, this word rooted, as it's translated, is essentially, it describes the action of a tree. Finding its strength from the soil that it is rooted in. Just think of these, the massive sequoias out in California. Like, can you imagine the depth and the width of the roots on those trees? I can't. Have no idea. But those trees are hundreds of years old. They're not going anywhere. They're strong. And that's what I want. And it, this this made me think about Psalm. One, if you'll turn there, Psalm 1, I think this is a very good picture of what Jesus, what Paul is talking about. So Psalm 1, 1 through 6 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Do you see what it, it says? He does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. It starts that way. Whose counsel is he wa- walking in? Well, you look at verse 2. It's the law of the Lord. The Word of God. He is seeking God at all times. That is where he is getting his rooting. He is turning to God for direction. He's walking in the ways of God. He doesn't even stand in the path of sinners. Not saying that we can't talk to sinners. But his, his point is, he's not even like testing out the path of sinners to see if maybe that would feel good. No, he's avoiding the walk of sin. And what does it say about him in verse 3? He will be like a tree firmly planted. This word, these word this, that's translated firmly planted is the Hebrew equivalent of firmly rooted. Firmly planted by streams of water. He's not going to dry up like a tumbleweed get blown away which yields its fruit in season and its leaf does not wither and whatever he does he prospers why this tree is finding its root in God himself this tree is finding strength and sustenance in the soil of God are we doing that in Christ are we finding our strength our support system, everything we need in Christ, or are we looking elsewhere? Listen to the description of the wicked. 
Sounds like a description of tumbleweed to me. The wicked are not so, but they are like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment. See the difference? The righteous won't stand in the path of sinners, but the wicked will not stand before the Lord when judgment comes. See the difference? We make decisions today that affect the way we are situated in God's day of judgment. They won't stand in the, in the judgment nor in the assembly of the righteous. See the choices we make? The choices we make in this life are a, an example of where we're walking, who we're listening to, who we truly find our root in. Verse 6 finally says, For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I believe Paul is hearkening back to this when he uses this imagery at the beginning of verse 7. And it makes me think of a few questions. Where am I finding my root? My standing? Do I come before the throne of grace because I have, I'm being found in Him? Like it says in Hebrew? Or because of something I have done or someone I know? Why, why do I feel I have freedom to come to the Lord in prayer? It should be because we're in Him. Not because of something we've done. And it finally leads us to ask, am I absolutely dependent upon Christ? Because these trees, that's where their, their roots are where they get their nourishment and their strength to survive and give forth fruit. Is Christ really everything we say He is to us? Or are we finding our nourishment and our strength somewhere else? This is a question we all need to ask. When we want to give up, we need to ask, why do I want to give up? Where am I finding my strength? Where am I finding my nourishment? Because if we're in Christ, we don't need to quit. We're overcomers. We have the victory in Jesus. Jesus already overcame sin. Do we not have victory because we're looking and fighting in the wrong way? With the wrong weapons? With the wrong advice? When we receive Christ, we will be firmly rooted. But the problem is, Will we remain rooted in Him? The devil would love to uproot us. He would love to take us and transplant us in a different soil. Because he knows that if he can get us in other soil, we'll become tumbleweed. We'll get blown over and die. 
All he wants us to do is, is transplant. Well, my Jesus isn't that way. I don't care. My Jesus is the Jesus of the Bible. He is Lord. He is Savior. He is a real human being. God in the flesh. These participles that we see here, there's actually four participles in verse 7. So root is the first one. These all refer back to the verb received. And it's not an accident. And the first three are all passive, showing what God does in us when we submit our will to Him. And the last one is the only active one, which is very interesting. When we get to it, you'll see why I think it's interesting. just want to give you a heads up. But all of these four participles characterize the conduct of those who receive Jesus Christ the Lord. They're rooted. But that's not it. They're being built up. This is again another participle. In Him. Do you notice that? We walk in Him. We're rooted and built up in Him. It is in Him. It is in unity with Jesus Christ that we have root and strength and that we're built up. If we don't have firm rooting, we can't grow up. Right? If, if, if the tree isn't firmly rooted, then it eventually will fall over because it gets too tall. It only grows as much as the roots take root. And since Paul's saying you have been rooted, now you can be built up. You can, you can grow into a majestic piece of God's glory to give Him glory in your life. But if we aren't built on a firm foundation. It's interesting. Paul switches analogies, right? He, he starts out with a tree. Now he's talking about a building. A home of sorts. But if we abandon our rooting then the building that we're trying to build will eventually crumble and fall. Is that what we want? Do we want to be strong? It's, it's okay and it's good to start out in the right soil. But we have to continue in him. We have to continue to be in that soil as we're being built up. We can't move our foundation and hope it's going to be okay. I was thinking about times when people move houses. I don't know if you've ever seen well they move an entire house 
But have you ever noticed, they don't dig up the foundation of that house and set it somewhere else. They, dig, they pour a new one. Why? Because that foundation is built for that soil. If you move it somewhere else, it's going to crack. One, it's probably too heavy. But it's going to crack. You just can't do it. Why would we as Christians think that we can move our soil elsewhere? We must be rooted in Him. If the frame of our structure isn't linked intricately with the roots and the the foundation, then we'll fall away. We'll fall over. Think of this, 1 Corinthians, look, at, look there with me, 1 Corinthians 3, starting in verse 10. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God which has been, was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building on it. But each man must be careful how he builds it. So each step of the way... There has to be great care in how we build. He's used, this is an analogy, obviously. For no one can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. He must be our foundation. He must be our roots. If He is not our root, our foundation, what happens? He says, now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble or straw, each man's work will become evident. For the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet as through fire. Paul is talking about his work in building up the people of Corinth and the church of Corinth. When we are discipling others, leading others, we have to remember that if the foundation is bad, it doesn't matter how good everything you build up from there. That's why when we're having conversations with people who claim to be Christians, we have to start at the bottom. If we start at the top, we go, oh yeah, they say, they, they say all the right things, they, they have really good thoughts, and they sound like a Christian. That's not... You can put on a pretty good facade, but you walk around back like in the Old West, and you're like, oh, this house is only one story. Looks like a two-story building. Or Miami, I mean, there's a lot of facades there. And it's not just buildings. The question for us is, are we building on the right foundation? And as we do that, we can trust that all that is being built upon it will not fall apart. A strong foundation. Just think about out in California, they have extreme um, building codes, especially in some areas, because of earthquakes. I mean, 
There's skyscrapers in San Francisco, for example, that actually have um, machines at the bottom to keep the skyscrapers from blowing in the wind and when earthquakes come to help stabilize them so they don't crash over. Why? Because they know what happens if it doesn't have that. And the foundations on these buildings are massive. So are we rooted in Him? Is He everything that we need? Are we building on Him? Or did we, did we build a good foundation and then we decided to build our house next door to the foundation? Oh yeah, it won't hurt. Let's just build it on the dirt. I really like this concrete. I'm all... I'm all I'm going to use it for a basketball court, and um, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, I got a great idea. In the winter, we can, we can put boards up around it, pour water on it, and have an ice skating rink. Now, this will be great. The kids can love it, and, and we'll have all this, we can use this space over here. No big deal. That's a terrible idea, right? It's, it's not going to last. Within a month of putting your drywall up, there'll be cracks everywhere, and you, you can't do that. You need a foundation. We must build on Him. We, there is no other foundation upon which Christians can build upon. It must be Christ. We can't choose another. Next, we have another participle. And it's, Established in your faith. It's something that will not be destroyed. Think of slogans for businesses. They always have at the bottom, establish, da-da-da date. Is it bad now that when I see like established 2001, I'm thinking, oh, that's not a very old business. But then I realize, oh, wait, it's 2022. <laughs> Maybe the older ones are like, I see ones that are established 1980, and I'm like, oh, that's not a very old business. <laughs> but, you know, if a business has, has a long establishment, we're like, you know, if you see one that says established in 1901, you're like, whoa, that, that business has gone through a lot of different time periods and has still remained strong. That's a strong business. And as Christians, that should be us. You know, the date of our salvation, established in blah, blah, blah. And then 40 years from now, 50 years from then, 60, till the day we, we go to be with the Lord, we can say established in, and it's strong, it's growing, it's not just stagnant. There's no stagnant Christian. You may feel stagnant, you may feel like you're not growing, but you're either growing or you're not. You may be struggling right now, but it may be that God is bringing you through a situation so that you'll be ready for more fruit. 
If we're turning to Him, right? That's the question. Is He everything? Are we walking in Him? Are we rooted in Him? Are we building upon Him? So that we can be established in our faith. That we won't be dissuaded by persuasive arguments. Or when you get to to verse 8, which we're not going to look at today, but... He says, see to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men. If if we're founded in Christ, if if our strength is found in Him and our our sustenance comes from Him, then everything we're building on it will come in line with that. And we won't be easily taken captive. We won't be persuaded to sin. J.B. Lightfoot said that faith is acting like the cement, holding it all together. You know, what, what is all in that concrete? There's rocks, there's cement, there's water, which obviously that dries out. There's rebar, steel to reinforce it. That cement is holding everything together, making it strong, a strong foundation that will last a long time. We're building on a rock, and that rock is Christ Jesus. But if our faith is in some other area, if we're trusting the wrong people or the wrong things, then it can really wreck our, our strength. Paul continues in this. He says, Having been firmly rooted and now being built up in Him and established in your faith. Just as, well, he's comparing this, just as you were instructed. Isn't that interesting? Their faith should be founded on what they were instructed. By whom? That's my big question. Well, I believe Epaphras. He's essentially saying, remember what Epaphras taught you? And remember what these lying scoundrels are telling you? Ignore them because they're not teaching the truth. They're teaching self-made doctrine. They don't care about you. They're they're self-centered. They don't love Jesus. They're all about themselves. Don't give up what you've already been taught. How many people do we know who start off well? They've been taught the right things. They're, They're being discipled faithfully. But when the hard times come, they give up. Why? Because they're not holding on to what they were taught. We can do the same thing. When we fall into sin, what are we doing? We're we're ignoring what we've been taught and saying, you know what? I'm not sure I believe that. When you fall away completely, 
You've made decision after decision after decision after decision to not believe what you've been taught. Your faith is not in God anymore. It's in in whatever you've been made to believe is true. Just think of Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. Has God said? God told them exactly what they could do. He taught them. If they had believed and held on to that, then when they got to the end, they would not have sinned. But they didn't. They believed the lie. They believed something that God had not taught them. And because of that, they fell. So if we're walking in Him as we have received Him, having been firmly rooted and being built up in Him, established in our faith, what will be the result? According to Paul, the final participle, and this is the active one. So all the other ones are the work of God in us. Not saying that we don't make any action in those things, but it shows our dependence upon God to be rooted, our dependence upon God to be built up, and our dependence upon Him to be established. And then what is our response? Overflowing with gratitude to Him. This is what we respond with. This is the result of being in Him. Why? Because we realize we cannot do it without Him. We realize that we in Him have the victory. We in Him are overcomers. Overcomers. How many of you today would be here if Christ hadn't transformed your life? I don't think any of us would be here. But because He pulled us out of our helplessness, our wretched sin, we're here. We're walking in Him. And because of that, we're overflowing with thankfulness. Or we should be. No matter, like Joe was talking about at the beginning, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we can't help but be thankful because we have the hope that has eternal value. No circumstance in this life can train, change that. So when we are found in Him, we have the victory no matter what happens.